You are listening to the First Tech Podcast. These podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. If you are not an authorised financial advisor, you may find the content of this podcast difficult to follow as it assumes you have the necessary training and qualifications to understand the concepts discussed. You should also be aware the information contained in this podcast is general information only and does not take into account any of your personal circumstances, needs or objectives. From time to time, clients who are Australian residents will move overseas to live and work, sometimes permanently. In these situations, it's actually not uncommon for people to have a whole bunch of questions about what this may mean for their super, which can then result in them seeing a financial advisor. My name is Craig Day, and joining me today to go through the types of questions the team get about non-residents and their super is Julie Fox, one of my Senior Technical Services Managers. G'day, Julie. Hey, Craig. How's it going? I'm well yourself. Good, good. Excellent. Now, we're going to be talking non-residents and super. Now, but just to set the scene, and for simplicity's sake, otherwise we'd be here for the next eight hours, um, this discussion is going to be limited to clients who are actually Australian citizens. That's right. right. Yep. Uh, and it doesn't cover off on what happens when we've got a, you know, a former, former temporary resident, resident or people who have never been resident in Australia and what, what goes on with their yeah. super because that gets a lot more complicated, doesn't it? Yeah, and that, that's an important point because when it comes to super, there's different rules uh, for what applies to temp- former temporary residents or people that have never been a resident. So we just want to keep it simple today. All right. Well, despite, despite what we've just said, maybe might be a good idea just to remind us about that concept. Yeah, because it is it is important and something that you kind of want to clarify up yeah, front. Yeah, so yeah. under the super laws, a current or former, former temporary resident, this is the term, uh, may be subject to modifications about the way their super applies to them. So that includes things like, fewer conditions of release being available to them. In some situations, their super benefit might have to be transferred to the ATO. Their super benefits might be subject to different tax rates when they withdraw it. And there's sometimes limitations on some contributions tax concessions that are available to these um, temporary or former temporary residents. So so in the super law, a temporary resident um, for super is an individual who holds a temporary visa under the Migration Act. Mm -hmm. So this is a bit different to the tax stuff where we're looking at tax residency. In in these cases, we're looking at migration laws. So importantly, the definition of a temporary resident excludes Australian citizens, New Zealand citizens, permanent residents, and holders of special types of visas like um, what's called a subclass 405 uh, investor retirement visa or a subclass 410 retirement visa. Don't ask me what those visas are, <laughs> but those people are excluded from being um, really? former um, former temporary residents. So that's why, for the purposes of today's discussion, we're going to stick to Australian citizens to make it straightforward. Or New Zealand. Across the ditch. Now, uh, so in that case, it's clearly an important concept there to clarify, clarify with the client up front whether there's any chance 
they are actually currently or a former temporary resident of Australia because a whole set of different rules that you just went through potentially applies to them. So we're not going there today. We're actually just dealing with those clients that are excluded from being former temporary residents. So in the vast majority of cases, we're going to be talking about Australian citizens here. Um, so what are the sorts of questions? So, you know, I've got someone that's lived in Australia, born, bred, lived in Australia all their life, and now they're deciding to move overseas to somewhere exotic and they've got questions about their super. What sort of questions do they have? Yeah. Well, well, it's a timely topic, Craig, because um, as you may or may not know, uh, I'm a dual citizen, a dual Australian and Canadian citizen. I've always worried about, wondered about you and your red and white jumper. That <laughs> and the maple syrup. Canadians, yeah. <laughs> so I'm sure there's plenty of clients out there like me who have either spent time working overseas or um, have just been able to return overseas to visit family after all the COVID nonsense. Mm -hmm. And after these visits, naturally, um, we're going to be comparing the opportunities available in either country. And if the clients are seriously thinking about moving overseas, then there's questions that may arise about their finances, including their super. Right. So let's start with those clients, say, looking to take up a role overseas. Now, Obviously, they may be intending to come back at some point in the future, but so I suppose they'd be worried about their super here. So not only how it's invested still, um, but can they contribute to it? Can they contribute to it? They can. Uh, Non-residents are subject to the same contribution rules as Australian residents. So as long as you're under 75, um, a client living overseas can make personal contributions to their Australian super regardless of their work status, their nationality, overseas residence or tax residency. But, of course, there's a few additional considerations. Yeah, okay. So, obviously, it's not just about the super rules here, you know. So, I don't just go and look at the uh, the CIS the regs about who can contribute to super. I've got to actually think more practically about this, don't I? So, yeah. what, what are those kinds of things that I also need to think about? Yeah, so there's just a few little things to think about when we're looking at this non-resident situation, Australian super funds will usually require documentation such as the PDS to be received and the application process completed while the person is in Australia. Yeah, because they can't make an offer to someone yeah. overseas. Yeah. So it's fine if they've already set up their fund while they're in Australia, no problems overseas, yeah. but it would be difficult to open up a new fund while they were overseas. Um, and the super fund needs to have the client's Australian tax file number, otherwise personal contributions can't be accepted and they would have to be refunded. So that's another thing to think about. Um, when looking at employer contributions, super superannuation guarantee doesn't apply to foreign companies and there's usually some kind of compulsory scheme in that other country that the employer needs to contribute to. So the clients will have to uh, investigate the conditions of release of those compulsory overseas schemes if mm -hmm. they plan to return yeah. to Australia later. Yep. Um, on the other hand, if it's an Australian company sending an Australian employee to work temporarily in another country, then they must continue to pay the super, uh, the SG for them in their Australian fund. Um, and, of course, uh, other considerations, Craig, close to your heart is uh, if the client has an SMSF, there's a whole other range of considerations. Yeah. So I remember, and this goes back a long, long way, right? So this is early days for me in technical services. And I got a call one day and there was a guy in an Australian embassy in Paris that wanted us to send him a PDS so he could make a contribution to his Australian super fund. 
And that kicked off this whole kind of investigation about whether an embassy is Australian territory and whether we can actually send the PDS oh, off no, to no, them. Well, that's an interesting yeah, point. Yeah, I know. Now, I don't actually know what the answer was because I passed it up the line to legal, but as you were talking through that, I go, oh, yeah, I remember that. Now, in terms of self-managed super funds, yes, we do need to be very careful here because there's a couple of rules. Well, overall, a super fund to be a complying superannuation fund needs to be a resident, what they call an Australian superannuation fund. Well, just think about it as a resident superannuation fund, right? And there's a whole bunch of tests there, and there's two very critical ones. First one is the central management and control test, and the second one is the active member test. So if we have people going overseas, then for a fund to be a complying superannuation fund, the central management control needs to be ordinarily located in Australia. That means it needs to have been set up and managed in Australia. And what is central management control? It's those key strategic decisions. It's not just day-to-day admin, it's key strategic decisions around the fund, what it's investing into and how it's selling assets to pay benefits and all sorts of things. There's old tax ruling that you can go and read about it. Um, And that needs to be ordinarily located in Australia. So what does ordinarily mean? means usually or normally, right? Which means, implies you can go away temporarily and then come back. And as long as that absence was only temporary, then the central management control would normally be in Australia. But all of these words are a bit wishy-washy. So the government did come out and give us um, some rules there to say you've got a safe harbour of up to two years that you can go away, exercise central management control during that period. Um, That's fine as long as your absence is only temporary. Now, funnily enough, in the last or the last budget, of the previous government, they did suggest actually extending that safe harbour period out from two to five years. Now, we never actually saw anything happen to that. Um, As far as we're aware, it's still on the agenda for the current government to do, um, but we have not seen any legislation. So if you're sitting here listening to that going, oh, weren't they going to extend it? Yes, they were, but we just haven't seen the legislation. Um, The other thing there is the active member test that we do need to worry about. Um, Now, the active member test looks at the proportion of benefits that belong to active Australian resident members and measures that as a proportion of all members across the fund. Now, resident in this case is tax tax resident. resident. Yes, very, very good. Now, in that situation, this is something we really need to be careful of because an active member is someone that's considered to be a contributor to the fund. And that's not only just making contributions, it also includes rollovers, but it also can include someone that objectively has an intention to contribute to the fund, bizarrely, right? And if you have all the members of the super fund go overseas, then you've got no Australian resident members. Now, as long as they don't make a contribution to the fund, then you've got no active members, so you, you pass the test. But if they make a $1 contribution, then that can actually result in them failing the active member test. And to be an Australian super fund, you have to pass all of the relevant tests involved. If you fail the active member test, then you're no longer an Australian super fund. Therefore, you can't be an Australian superannuation fund or a complying super fund. Therefore, you're now non-complying and the assets of the fund are subject to tax at 45%. So very, very important. If your clients have a self-managed super fund, they're talking about going overseas, you need to address that as an issue. Um, It may involve shutting the fund down and rolling people out. It may involve putting in place 
you know, other people to act as directors or, or Well, if they really leads. wanted to contribute, they could maybe set up a retail fund just Set up a interim. retail fund. I'm sure yeah. there's many retail funds that would be happy enough just to make sure that they sign the application form while they're still Before yeah. they leave. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, don't uh, don't just ignore the self-penitentiary fund. And I've seen people decide not to set up self-penitentiary funds because they've gone to see their advisor and all of this and they want to set one up just before they go away overseas. It's like, no, that would be a very bad idea. Now, um, what other types of questions do we get? Um, so, so other questions around the accumulation phase. Um, common questions is whether a non-resident can claim a tax deduction for personal contributions made from overseas. Mm -hmm. So the short answer is yes, but of course you have to meet the same requirements as Australian residents, like submitting your notice of intent on time. And there's some practical differences to consider. Um, now, when you're a non-resident, income that's subject to a final withholding tax in Australia, like unfranked dividends, interest royalties, um, some payments from managed funds, they're not accessible income in Australia for a non-resident and therefore can't be reduced by Australian tax deductions. So that's one consideration. Um, also, the tax deduction can be used to reduce income that is accessible in Australia for a non-resident, like rental income or realised capital gain from Australian real property or Australian business or employment income. So it can right. reduce that mm -hmm. type of accessible income. Yeah. Um, and but then, not, not anything subject to withholding, because that doesn't yeah. even go on your tax return. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. it can't reduce that. Um, another point of difference is that non-residents don't have a tax-free threshold. They pay a marginal tax rate of 32.5% on the first $120,000 of their income. So there's a benefit in perhaps making personal deductive contributions deductible contributions that reduce taxable income to nil. Whereas if we're talking about someone who is a resident here, mm -hmm. they get a tax-free threshold, so it only makes sense to make personal deductible contributions oh, yeah, yeah. down to their um, effective tax-free threshold. Yeah, yeah. So, so little differences when we're dealing with non-residents. Yeah. I guess, too, um, now we've had these new rules come in effective the 1st of July 2022 that talks about it um, now we've got rid of the work test right so anyone can contribute all the way up to 74 including 28 days after the end of the month but they did change the rule around deductibility right and they said if you're between 67 and 74 including 28 days after the month in which you turn 75 to claim a tax deduction for your personal contribution you have to satisfy the work test or the work test exemption. That's right. Now, the interesting thing there is I know that the ATO are already talking about data matching. So if you go and claim a tax, uh, a deduction for a personal contribution to super in your tax return, they're now going to look and see whether you've got any salary or wage income. Now, if you're living and working overseas, I would suggest you're not declaring, as long as you are, you know, you're not employed by an Australian resident company or something along those lines, then you're not declaring that salary or wage income in your Australian tax return because you're paying tax on it more likely overseas, right? So in that situation, if the if the ATO goes and cross-references, says, oh, Julie, you've claimed a tax deduction, you're 70 years old, let's go and look whether you've satisfied your work test. We're not seeing any salary or wage income. We're not seeing any personal business income. We're not even seeing any contributions in... SG contributions being reported by a superannuation fund in Australia for you, you're going to get a please explain. 
Yes. But the good thing is, is that the work test, it can be it, it can, yeah, for it overseas. Doesn't, exactly. Yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't have to be in Australia. You can work wherever. You can be working in you know, China or Europe yeah. or wherever you like. It just Bolivia. might involve a bit more administration yeah, with the ATO. You're just yeah. going to now have to prove to the ATO, more than likely, because they're going to say, well, we can't see that you've got any salary or wage income here. Can you please confirm that yeah. you've actually been gainfully employed? But then again, the ATO does have information exchange no, right. countries. Yeah. So, you know, perhaps but they I, know more than we Yeah, maybe they do. They know. Maybe yeah. they do. But it's a little bit scary, isn't it? But they do know I've got a job in Bolivia. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's just kind of as you're going through that, I thought, oh, there's, that's, that's also be aware for those clients that are overseas and working that they may need to be able to justify or prove to the, to the authorities back here in Australia that they have actually satisfied uh, their work test because there won't be any evidence to the ATO. Now, I suppose what we've talked about here, we've talked about lots of stuff in relation to accumulation, right? So, you know, making contributions and claims for tax deductions contributions. Um, what are some of the questions we get when clients are looking to retire overseas. Yeah, so that that raises a whole other set of questions. Um, And the common ones are around, obviously, accessing super and how it will be taxed. Mm -hmm. Um, So for Australian citizens living overseas, the conditions of of release are the same as for residents of Australia. So that's quite straightforward. And the most common ways, of course, to access your super are usually retirement or reaching age 65. Um, now, the conditions are much more limited for clients who are either current or former temporary residents. I said we wouldn't talk about yeah. this, but I yeah. should just mention it here. And generally, the only conditions of release available to those clients is upon death or incapacity or terminal illness. Um, so very different situation yeah. for those yeah. for those people. Another common question is whether an Australian citizen can roll over benefits to a foreign fund. Now, in most cases, that's not possible since preserved super must remain within the Australian super system regardless of whether a client remains in Australia or permanently relocates. Now, an exception applies for Australians permanent permanently relocating to New Zealand. Uh, For example, an Australian permanently moving to New Zealand can transfer their Australian super to a New Zealand Kiwi saver scheme. That's one of the exceptions. So if you generally can't roll over your super to a scheme in another country, I'm guessing that the next question relates to the taxation of lump sums and pensions for clients living in Australia. Because if I have to leave it here, uh, and I decide to take out a lump sum, maybe I'm transferring it over there to invest in a pension in Croatia or somewhere, um, or I'm just leaving it here and drawing a pension, how is that then taxed? Yeah, that leads us to the top two questions there. Now, the easy answer is how it will be taxed in Australia. The more challenging uh, question is how it will be taxed in the foreign country. Yeah, and please don't call us with how does the Chilean tax system work. We've <laughs> had those calls. We don't know. So please don't call us. <laughs> yeah, so we'll look at the Australian taxation first. <laughs> as, as a default position, the Australian tax treatment of super lump sums and income streams made to residents and non-residents is basically the same, subject to two differences. So non-residents are subject to non-resident marginal tax rates mm-hmm. and non-residents are not required to pay Medicare levy. 
So that's those are the two main differences from an Australian tax perspective. But, okay, but hang on, you said that that's the default position. What do you mean there? So that's where it gets tricky. Um, Australia has double tax agreements with over 40 different jurisdictions around the world. Now, a double tax agreement or tax treaty prevents double taxation between countries and it will override the default position that we talked about there. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if I move back to Canada to retire, I'd need to look at the DTA between Canada and Australia to see how any pension income is treated. Now, there's a standard format in DTAs and pensions are usually addressed uh, around Article 18 of a DTA. Unfortunately, the wording of DTAs is not always easy to interpret and they do differ substantially between the different countries. Okay, so just to get that right, so I've left my pension here uh, and I've retired, I've turned on my account-based pension uh, and it's been paid in Australia, but I'm living overseas. So obviously the pension payment's been transferred over. Um, so there's two jurisdictions that can potentially have a go here, but in most circumstances there's some sort of tax treaty that says it's taxed in one country or the other, but not necessarily always hmm. both, right? Yeah. But or, or generally not both, but that doesn't necessarily always, um, it's not always the case. So, all right, now you're Canadian. I'm probably pretty sure you've had a look. I have. <laughs> and what is what is the Canada's detail? Just as an example, that's, like obviously yeah, we're not just as an example. Um, it, so in Canada's DTA with Australia, it states in its own complicated way because mm. DTAs go on oh, about the contracting yeah. state and yeah. the resident in the contracting state, blah blah blah. So what it basically says is that Australian source pensions may be taxed in both Australia and Canada. Ah. Um, so unfortunately, if I've reached the age of 60, my super pension will be tax-free for Australian tax purposes, mm -hmm. but Canada still says it has the right to tax it. And some of the um, DTAs say the other country has the right to tax it, but they, they look at it and go, oh, it's been taxed, we won't tax it yeah. here, but not Canada. Right. Canada the, says, no, we want, yeah. we want to put... We, we want our pound yeah, of flesh, thank you, you. You put that in your Canadian tax return. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've looked. I've, I've, so you would then, you'd have to go and get um, specialised foreign tax advice for whichever country you're dealing with to see exactly how it's taxed in that mm -hmm. other country. Um, obviously, because I've got a bit of a vested interest, um, I have looked at the Revenue Canada websites and it does say, yes, you have to put your foreign pension income in your tax return. Right. And I thought, oh, but is there some kind of credit there that, that doesn't, it's not really as mean as that sounds. But then I saw that there's actually been a case um, in Canada um, that's brought up this exact thing. It's uh, Rasmussen versus the Queen. And uh, that dealt with a former Queensland police officer who immigrated to Canada in 2013 after oh, his so retirement. This is in 1893 or something. <laughs> um, this is 2019. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, and he was taxed on his super pension income coming from Q Super in Canada. So right. it's a bit of a raw deal. There you go. Yeah. But in a lot of other circumstances, you know, there are treaties out there that will say it's taxed in the country that the pension is paid from. Usually. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so in that situation, if you're over 60, 
great. It's yeah. not taxed here and it's not taxed where you're living. Yeah, but um, each DTA is different yeah, and, and you really have to check into it and get some expert advice on the other end of how it all works. Um, so that's that's just an example of one jurisdiction and I'm not a Canadian tax expert by any means. Yeah, maybe, please don't call us. <laughs> maybe I've got it wrong. You know, I will, yeah. I will call my Canadian tax expert yeah. when the time comes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, clients have to speak to a tax professional um, that's that's qualified in, in whatever jurisdiction that they're looking at. Okay. So obviously quite a number of unique considerations for, you know, clients that are currently client heading off overseas uh, when it comes to this super. So if you want more info, um, so our frequent asked questions on this topic, you can see our first article, super and non-resident frequently asked questions. Sure can. Lots more questions and answers there. Yeah. Okay. So I think that kind of wraps it up, Julie. Yep. For Australian citizens. That's it yeah. for today. Yeah, we're not going anywhere else. <laughs> okay. So thanks for your time. Excellent. Thanks, Craig. And thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for listening to the First Tech Podcast. Please note these podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors as a source of general information. All scenarios considered during the podcast were purely hypothetical and for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. You should read the relevant product disclosure statement before making any investment decisions and once again consider talking to a financial advisor. While all care has been taken in preparation of this podcast using sources we believe to be accurate and reliable, no person, including Colonial First Aid Investments Limited and Adventist Investments Limited, accepts responsibility for any loss suffered by any person arising from reliance on this information.